Hey, good morning. If we haven't met, my name is Ryan, the lead pastor here at New Hope, and I want to thank you so much for being a part of New Hope Online. From wherever you're watching this morning, thanks for being with us. We appreciate it. We, we are not in the same room together, but we are knit together. We are one as we pursue Christ here this morning, this Palm Sunday celebration morning. So glad that we're together. Hey, I want to remind you, as we're working through the message this morning, that uh, you can participate with us by, by writing in. Uh, we have somebody back there that will write right back to you. So if you have questions or comments as we move through the message this morning, please engage. Please know you're invited to do so. I also wanted to uh, mention as well that we have standing by right now a team of people ready to pray for you. And so this morning, if you have any prayer requests, if you have any burdens going on in your own life or for somebody that you know and love and you would like to be prayed for, right now on the screen, you see a way. You can text that in, email that in, or even go to the church website, and that will immediately, right now, be sent out to a team of people. And, and we're not going to stalk you or spam you. We're not looking to get secret information. That's not what we're doing whatsoever. This is just a matter of walking with you during this time so that you know that you're not alone. So so you can submit that right now. Like I said, a team of people are praying. I also want to mention as well, Hannah was just up here sharing about it, but this coming weekend is going to be a tremendous time of celebration. Yes, it's different than what we expected to hear in the midst of the quarantine and all of that, but it's going to be a special time. Good Friday service this Friday, 9 p.m. It's going to be a time of communion, so get your elements ready at home. Also, it's going to be for ages 10 plus. It's really designed for adults or older kids as we reflect on the crucifixion of Christ. It's going to be a powerful evening this Friday and then Sunday morning, so 9 p.m. and then 9 a.m. Sunday morning, Easter celebration service. We're going to celebrate the resurrection of Christ, the greatest event in the history of humanity as Jesus conquered sin and death and demonstrated that by rising from the dead. It's going to be a tremendous time. Lots of things to look forward to. So glad we're together. So if you would, grab your Bibles or turn it on, whichever applies to you. And if you would turn to the Gospel of John chapter 12. Now we are continuing on, almost done, aren't we, with the Gospel of John sermon series. We have been plugging along for, well, since January, and it's been a tremendous uh, ride here. This sermon series has with it a complimentary uh, um, devotional guide resource. And so many of you have this, and you've been working through this for weeks, but if you don't have one of these and you would like one of these, go to the church website and you can download this resource guide uh, to follow along. Also, we have on the website this morning the bulletin, and so if you'd like to uh, download that or even just view it and see what, what's happening in the life of the church and also follow along with the sermon, you can do that as well. Now, I'm going to give you a little disclosure here because the devotional guide, which we mapped out this series back in November, we had no idea what will be happening in April. And we're supposed to be covering John chapter 19, verses 1 through 16. But this morning, we're going to go in a different direction. This morning, uh, we're going to talk about something else. And so I want to encourage you on your own, not skip over that passage. Go ahead and read about it on your own and, and follow along that way in the devotional guide. But this morning, we're going to be looking at something else. This morning is Palm Sunday. Now, maybe you're at home this morning and you're wondering, what's Palm Sunday? I don't even know what that is. I'm glad you asked. Palm Sunday is the Sunday every year before Easter Sunday. It's one week before, and it's a time that we celebrate and remember a really important event in the life of Jesus. And so if you have your Bible, John chapter 12 is where we're going to be. Let's go ahead and read about it together, the event of Palm Sunday as John outlines it for us in chapter 12. 
It says the next day, I'm starting now in verse 12, John chapter 12, verse 12, the next day, now that's referring to Sunday of this particular week, the next day, the great crowd that had come uh, for the festival, that's the Passover festival, heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. And they took palm branches and they went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, that word, by the way, means save now, save us. It's a plea for help, for rescue. That's what it means. They're shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Now, this is a tremendous scene. So here we have, it's a Sunday. It's the beginning of Passover festival. This was a a really important time for the Jewish people. People from all over would gather to the city of Jerusalem. At this time, Jerusalem's about 50,000 people in population. But at this time, in this event, when Passover was happening, it would swell to about 150 to 200,000 people were pulled into the city for this festive time. And there was a buzz going on during this time. There was this, this sense of anticipation, and it was really all about Jesus. Would he show up? If he showed up, what would he do? And for other people, it was, who's Jesus? They're trying to figure this guy out during this important scene. Now, Jesus is outside the city right now, and he is going to, on a cult, begin to make his journey from a community called Bethany into the city of Jerusalem. I have a map for you right here. Let's go ahead and look at that now. And you'll see on the right-hand side, it's about a mile and a half, two-mile journey from Bethany, going through Bethphage, over uh, then to the Mount of Olives, and toward the city of Jerusalem. There was a crowd with Jesus that was traveling toward Jerusalem with him. But there was also a bigger crowd in the city that caught wind and heard the word that Jesus was coming toward the city. And so this crowd left the city of Jerusalem and comes out. And somewhere along that path, these two large crowds meet up. And when that happened, there was this eruption of praise and celebration. As we just read about, Hosanna, save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This amazing scene of people waving palm branches. And then can you imagine this? As Jesus is on a colt and he's coming through with all the crowds pressed in around him, people were taking their cloaks or jackets and putting it on the dusty ground and laying palm branches down, carpeting the road as Jesus was coming toward the city. Incredible scene, this incredible moment of praise. Jesus finally getting the praise that's been due to him all along. And as Jesus comes over the Mount of Olives, he would have seen something like this view, this, this next picture here, as Jesus looks upon Jerusalem and he sees the Temple Mount and the, and the temple there and the Kidron Valley, and he would have dropped down into that valley up through the Lion's Gate and into the city. This is called the triumphal entry, this amazing moment. This moment, this, this is why we celebrate Palm Sunday, launches the final week of Jesus' life. And this crowd that was shouting, Hosanna, and blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, only five days later, at least some of that crowd is going to be chanting, crucify, crucify. It only took a matter of five days before for the tables will turn and Jesus will be, will be arrested, will be run through scam trials, and will ultimately be nailed to a Roman cross. But three days later, Three days later, Jesus rose from the dead, and that's what we're celebrating this week. Palm Sunday, launching the beginning of the final week of Christ's life. And as we move through, and this Friday night as we gather and we remember the cross, and the pain of the cross, and all that was accomplished on the cross. But then Sunday, three days later, Jesus alive again.
This is an incredible time of celebration, not just for a New Hope Church, globally around the world as Christ's church, Big C Church, gathers and worships and praises and celebrates the resurrection of Christ. This is a, a tremendous time, and this is what Palm Sunday is all about. But you know, something else monumental is also taking place here. Some, something else that goes back to hundreds of years before, even into the Old Testament, a prophecy that was given that, that, that shaped of how, how monumental this moment of Jesus riding into Jerusalem truly was. And so to, to show you that, if you have your Bibles, turn back to the left to several chapters into the Old Testament to Daniel chapter 9, or just follow along as I kind of walk us through this. I want to take us back to the year 540 B.C. And Daniel, Daniel is, is, is a prophet of God, and he's not in the Holy Land. He's displaced far away. God's people have been spread out. The land is destroyed. The city is destroyed. The people are dispersed. And Daniel, as it says here in Daniel chapter 9, he's, he, he's praying for his people. He's burdened for them. He's confessing sin for himself and his people. All of this is going on. And in this moment, God does something amazing. He sent his angel, Gabriel, the same one he sent to Mary. He'll send to Mary hundreds of years later. But, later. but Gabriel, he, he shows up in this moment and he gives a prophecy regarding Israel to Daniel and the future of Israel. And you may wonder, well, how does this tie into what we're talking about? You'll see here. This is an incredible thing. Daniel chapter 9, verse 24. Here's what it says. It says, Seventy sevens are decreed for your people Israel. Talking about, again, for your people. That's Israel. And your holy city, which is Jerusalem. Let me pause here real quick. What does seventy sevens mean? Well, a seven represented seven years. So Gabriel's saying 70 sets of seven years, or 70 times seven, is 490 years. So in other words, 490 years are decreed for your people Israel in your holy city to finish transgressions, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. Now, there's a lot going on here in this verse here, but basically what it's saying here is, is Gabriel saying, look, Daniel, and for Israel, in 490 years, God is going to accomplish these six things. Again, finish transgressions, put an end to sin, atone for wickedness, bring in everlasting righteousness, seal up vision and prophecy, and anoint the most holy place. That in 490 years, God is going to accomplish all of that. This happened in the year 540 B.C., now, even if you hear that list of six things and you don't fully even understand everything that's being said there, it sounds good though, right? I mean, it sounds like something that this is a good thing. This is, this is what I want. No, no, no sin, everlasting righteousness. I mean, this is incredible stuff that God is promising that he'll accomplish in 490 years for the nation of Israel. Uh, just again, an incredible thing. Let's keep going. Verse 25. Gabriel continue. He says, know and understand this. From the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, that's referring to the Messiah, the ruler comes, there will be seven sevens or 49 years 
and 62 sevens or 434 years. It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. So what's going on here? Well, in this verse now, God introduces the clock. And the clock doesn't start when Gabriel is giving the prophecy to Daniel. It doesn't start then. What he says rather, he says, look, the clock starts, this 490-year clock, it starts when the decree is issued to rebuild Jerusalem. When that happens, watch for that, Israel. That's when the clock starts. And you'll have a 49-year chunk, and then you'll have a 60, or excuse me, a 434-year chunk, and the clock will stop when the Messiah shows up, when the ruler, when the anointed one, when Jesus arrives. Now, how did this play out in history? Well, here's what we know. If we go to the book of Nehemiah, chapter 2, we know that the issue of the decree to rebuild Jerusalem took place in that place. King Artaxerxes issued the decree and sent the people back, and the work in Nehemiah began to rebuild not only the wall, but the city, the moat, all of it began to be rebuilt, and it was accomplished in 49 years. All this took place in the year 445 B.C., now, to give you a time frame so you don't get lost in it, we have Daniel's prophecy at 540 B.C. The clock starts when Artaxerxes issues the decree in 445 B.C. And then we have the 69 weeks that play out. Seven sevens and 62 sevens. Now, here's what's interesting about the Jewish calendar. It's not 365 days. A Jewish calendar is actually 360 days. And so what that means is the date where the clock stops, irregardless of what we know of the New Testament, the date the clock stops then for the 483 years is the year uh, 30 A.D. It's actually April of 30 A.D. That's when the clock stops. It started in March 445. It stops April 30 A.D., which is the exact time scholars hold, most scholars, that the triumphal entry took place. Isn't that incredible? But here it is laid out hundreds of years before this moment when Jesus presented himself to Jerusalem, when he came on the cult and presented himself to the people as Messiah, as Savior, and as Lord, the clock stopped. So what else does the prophecy say? Let's look at one more verse, verse 26. It says that after the 62 sevens, so in other words, after Palm Sunday, the anointed one, Jesus, will be put to death and will have nothing or be cut off. The people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary, which we know happened a few years later in A.D. 70. It's all played out exactly the way God has laid it out. Is laid out in a perfect way. Jesus, again, arrested late in the night of Thursday of Holy Week. He run through the, 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 the trials that he went through and again, nailed to a Roman cross on early Friday morning. This all played out exactly the way God planned. Now, if you're at home and you've been kind of running the math and calculating the numbers, you may have noticed we're missing a week, aren't we? We only got to 483 years and the clock has stopped. And the clock is still stopped today. What about these last seven years? Well, Daniel's 70th week, the last week, the last week that's on this prophecy for Israel, where God's going to accomplish those six things, is still yet in the future, in the end times. The tribulation, the time of tribulation for Israel, those seven years, that finishes the clock, that finishes the prophecy. 
The reason I share all of this is because it shows both the importance of Palm Sunday, but you know what else it does? It shows and communicates and reminds all of us that God has a plan. He has a plan. He is good. He is in control. And he has a plan. And I think for us, I think in a time um, in our lives, a time in our, our nation's history even, where things feel very unplanned and things feel very out of control, where we feel uncertain and unstable, where fear and anxiety feel unleashed, where we just, let's face it, we want to go back to the way things used to be, don't we? We long for the way things were, even just weeks ago, and, and it's not that way today. And we want to be together at church, and we want to see our friends, and kids want to go back to school, and we want to play sports, and we want to go to work, and we want to have our jobs back, and, and all the things that we had in place, and now it's shaken, and it's missing, and it's hard. And it's easy to believe in those kind of moments that everything is unstable and everything is chaos and everything's a storm and out of control. But this morning, I want to remind us that God is completely in control. He's infinitely wise and he's perfectly loving. That's who God is. And that's what he's doing. I want to share with, with us a verse in Psalm 11. You can turn there if you have your Bibles. If not, just, just listen along because I think it raises the question, what do we as Christians do? As followers of Jesus, as his church, how do we respond? Like, what's, what's our step? And how do we navigate through these kinds of times? And Psalm 11 gives us, I think, some handholds for this. Uh, join me together as we read Psalm 11, verse 3. David is writing this psalm, and, and David says, When the foundations, and by the way, that means of society, that means the foundations of a, of a community. That's, that's what it means literally. When the foundations of a society are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? That's our question, isn't it? And it's not a, well, what can we do? And we throw our hands up. It's how do we respond? How does the church, how is the church to respond in those seasons of life when the, when, when the foundations of our society are being wrecked? dismantled and destroyed? What, what do we do and how do we respond? And the answer is, it's in Psalm 11, but just go back to verse 1, because here's how David starts, and it's his thesis of the whole psalm, and it's what helps us here this morning. It's this, in the Lord, I take refuge. In the Lord, I, we, you, we take refuge. See, here's the key. As the church, we don't run from we run to. We, 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 don't, we don't live in fear. We walk by faith, don't we? And, and we, don't, we don't panic, but rather we rest in him. And, and this morning, if you're saying, okay, fine, that sounds fine, but why should I do that? Now jump to verse 4. I know we're jumping a little bit. Same psalm. Look at me at verse 4. Here's why. Because it says this, the Lord is in his holy temple. It says the Lord is on his heavenly throne, and that's where he is now. It says he observes everyone on earth. His eyes examine them. You know what this means? It means that he knows. It means that he sees. It means that he's in control. 
He's on his throne. He's paying attention. He knows. See, our world from our perspective is shaken. But this is his world. And from his perspective and under his authority, it's right where he wants it. Don't miss here. Not because he likes COVID-19. Not because he likes suffering. Not because he likes the, the pain and the hurt and all that we're going through. That's not true at all. But simply because he can use it for good. That God on his throne, he can take all this stuff that we're experiencing and he can turn it around and only he can do something absolutely incredible with it. Namely, magnify him for his glory. Work for your good. Teach you and I things that we never would have learned otherwise. He can do that. He wants to do that. He is on his throne and he sees what is going on. See, God doesn't cause the suffering. God doesn't enjoy the suffering. God doesn't want all of this. He, he, he doesn't long for it. He doesn't enjoy sickness or harm or sin. But he can use it when we allow him. Why? I want to say it one more time and really cling to this. It's this idea of who God is. That he is completely sovereign. That means you can trust him. He is infinitely wise. He knows what he's doing. And he's perfectly loving. He's got you. He's got you. He's not going to let you go. And he's going to walk with you through it all. Just step by step. Moment by moment. Almost like a small child reaching up to grab daddy's hand. Squeezing tight knowing he's squeezing even tighter and walking with you through what we're experiencing together. This is who he is, and this is what he wants to do. See, this morning as we, together, I mean, we navigate this new reality of COVID-19. We, we navigate how it's impacted uh, our community and our lives, and we recognize it's global. And there's a lot of people who have it a whole lot worse than we do. But I want to share with you this morning that if you're experiencing fear, if, if anxiety is just gripping you, and Sue was talking about it earlier, and I, I loved her honesty because it's not just her, is it? It's during the day, and it's even during the night. It's that weight, the pressure, the unknown. I want to give you a step. I want to share with you something that you can, you can do today that will help you, help me, all of us know when the foundations are being destroyed, what can I do? And to answer that question, we begin to close this morning. Turn back to the New Testament, to the book of Philippians, please. Chapter 4, or just listen along here as we go through this. This is a, a familiar verse for many and a good reminder for all. I want to read verse, chapter 4, Philippians, verse 6. Paul writes this, and he says, Do not be anxious about anything. Doesn't that read like today's mail? Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, and with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. What's Paul saying? Well, Paul's saying this. The antidote to anxiety is prayer. The way to turn your worry into worship is prayer. This is the tool that God has given us to face these kinds of moments, that we take everything that we 
are and everything that we have and everything that we're going through, and we take it right back to God in prayer. The one that we know loves us and cares for us. Another verse, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, says, Cast all your anxiety on him. Why? Because he cares for you. He wants us to bring it all to him. So, so what, what is prayer? What does this look like? Look, if this is new to you and maybe, maybe here even this season of life and this morning, and we're going to pray here in a moment, this might be some of the first time you ever pray or the first time in a while that you've prayed. But prayer is just simply talking to God. It's not fancy or formal. It doesn't have to be. But it's honest. It's honest. And as we just read here, it's, it's, it's petition, meaning, meaning you take your request to God. God, this is what I'm going through. This is what I feel. This is what it's like. Or other people that you know and love, and this is what it's like for them. And I just pray for that person and the things that they're going through. That's petition. And then he also said, this is the harder of the two, thanksgiving. That we would come before God with thanksgiving. Now look, you may not be thankful for your circumstances, but you and I, we can be thankful in them, can't we? And so, and so that's what we do. We, we come before God and we are thankful because we know that God is up to something good. And so we're thankful for that. And so Paul says, look, when your world is rocked, go to God in prayer. Now, when you do that, when you bring the prayer to him, verse 7 we're going to look at now brings the promise. See, God gives a promise. Says, look, if you come before me and you pray, you just, you just lay it all out before me, I have a promise for you. And here's the promise, verse 7. Let's keep going. The promise is this. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Peace. The, the peace of God. It's, it's our theme this morning. The, this idea that, that God says, look, when you come before him in prayer and you take your anxiety to him in prayer, God says, I have a promise for you. I'm going to give you my peace. My peace will rest upon you. Look, it's not a peace that's dependent on circumstances, that I'll feel peace when circumstances get better. It's not that. And it's not a peace that you can manufacture yourself. That somehow this idea of, like, if I just try harder, try to think peaceful thought, that's not it at all. That's not what we're talking about. This is rather that as you lean in on God, as you trust him, God says, I promise my peace will come over you. My peace will be with you. It is a supernatural peace. It is a peace that is fr from him. It's a peace that is beyond understanding. That as the world is, is, is freaking out and buying up toilet paper, you're okay. You're okay. Why? Because you're experiencing his peace. And others look around and say, why are you okay? Because it's not, look, I don't enjoy this. This is hard for all of us, but I am just walking in him, leaning on him, turning my worry into worship, and his peace is just wrapped around me. Doesn't that sound good this morning? Hasn't it been a while for some of us since we've experienced that kind of peace? Well, I want to tell you this morning, it's available to you. It is available to you. It is real. It is something that God wants you to experience in the midst of the storm. See, what I'm talking about is not some kind of fairy tale pep talk. It's not what I'm interested in giving this morning. God's peace is, is real and it's solid. And it's something that he wants you to experience today. It is available to you, but here's the key. Don't miss this. 
The key to experiencing the peace of God is to first come to a place before God where you experience peace with him. So you can't experience the peace of God until you first have peace with God. Did you catch that? You know what that means? That means coming before God and say, I recognize who you are. And I recognize that you sent your son into the world. And you did this because of who I am, of my sin. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says, But God demonstrates his own love for us, for you in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us died for you, died, died for me on the cross. That's what this, this whole week of celebration and remembrance is. That Jesus came into the world. That he lived a perfect sinless life. That he went to the cross in your place and in my place. He didn't deserve this. But he went there willingly laying down his life, giving up his spirit as he was tortured and crucified on that Roman cross paying the penalty for our sins such that the, the father turns his back on his son and the son crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus becoming your sin and my sin on our behalf, paying the penalty so that you and I can have a renewed, restored relationship with him. This is real. This is called the gospel, the good news. And this is what we celebrate this is available to you. And so maybe here this morning, it's not just about having the peace of God through the circumstances that we're going through today, as real as that is. But really, for you, for some of you, it may also be experiencing peace with God. And today, beginning that new relationship with him, of inviting him into your heart and life to be your Savior and your Lord. Maybe that's where you're at today. And if so, in just a moment, I want to speak to you if that's where you're at this morning. But for all of us, as we begin to close here, um, and we're going to have some music here in just a moment, but we've been encouraging really all of us here the last couple of weeks to do the 3-3-3 prayer time. And basically what that means is taking three minutes a day to pray for three people that we know, that we care for, that we're concerned about, and then also spending time looking at God's character. And, and coming back to who God is and praising him in three different ways. And so this morning as we close, as, we, as we've talked about how do we experience peace, well, it's through prayer. It's time this morning to take our anxiety, to take the fears that we're feeling or those that we know others that are going through and to bring them before God and say, God, I don't want to carry this weight anymore. I want to give it to you. And so, Father, do what only you can do. Work in a way that only you can work. My job, it's my time to turn it over and to trust you. And so here's what I'd like to ask you to do. From home, and I know there's could be a lot of distractions going on at home right now, but, but if you would either, just if you're by yourself, that's great, just between you and God, or if you're in a group, it can also be between you and God, or you can pray together. But I'm going to give us some prayer prompts, and we're just going to take a moment to pray. And, and to give our God our full attention before we close our time in worship. And so would you bow your heads, and if you have your Bible, you can set that aside. And just, again, to clear the deck so that you can give God your full attention for three minutes is what we're going to do. And here's what I'd like to ask you to do first. As, as eyes are bowed, as we're in a posture and in a place of, of prayer, that you would take some time right now and to praise God 
for who he is. And maybe for you this morning, it's coming back and saying, God, I thank you that you are completely sovereign, that you are infinitely wise, and that you are perfectly loving. Let's take a few moments right now and just spend some time praising God for who he is. Let's pray. As you're still praying, I'd like to ask you now if you would present requests, petitions to God. You could pray for things that you're going through, situations you're feeling and facing. Just bring that before God. Lay it before Him. Now, if you would take time and, and I'd ask that you just pray for the people in your life that you know and love. Maybe somebody who's battling a health situation, even COVID-19. So maybe somebody who's out of work. Somebody who's going through a difficult time right now. Would you present them to God and pray for them right now, please? And this morning, if you're somebody that today you don't have that personal, real relationship with a Savior who loves you, if experiencing peace with God is something that's new for you, as our heads are bowed and as we're just in a posture again of prayer, if this is you, then I just want to invite you to pray with me this morning. Because right there, wherever you're at, in your living room, your bedroom, your kitchen, your home, wherever it is, today can be a day of transformation. Today can be a day where you, you surrender your life to Christ and you invite him in to be your Savior and your Lord. Where you get out of the driver's seat, you allow him to take over and say, God, I surrender to you because you are, again, completely sovereign, infinitely wise, and perfectly loving. I trust you. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. If that's you this morning, if you want to experience that peace with him, just simply pray this. Just say, God, I thank you for who you are. And this morning, I recognize who I am. And Father, my sin has caused me to turn my back on you. But this morning, I receive you as my personal Lord and Savior. I thank you for going to the cross in my place to pay the penalty for my sin. 
And Father, thank you that now I get to be a child of God, adopted into your family. And for all of us now, we pray this in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Hey, thank you this morning for for being here and just in this time, I hope of encouragement for you. If you prayed the prayer to receive Christ this morning, would you do something? Would you even just type into the chat bar right now or shoot an email to the church office? We want to know about that and walk with you and begin to give you some resources and support and help. You are not alone. Welcome to the family if that's you this morning. So in your living rooms, wherever you're at, let's go ahead and worship together a great and sovereign God who provides peace. God bless you. Sue and Megan make their way back up. We're going to close today with a song called Sea of Victory. And I love that phrase of turn your worry into worship. And and right now, that's going to look like song. We're going to worship through song. Um, But remember, worship looks a lot of different ways. It looks like prayer. It looks like reading scripture. It looks like singing. So um, I want to encourage you again to, to turn that worry into worship, to lean into God. And let's do that this morning. Let's sing together Sea of Victory. Weapon may be formed, but it won't prosper. When the darkness falls, it won't prevail. Cause the God I serve knows only how to triumph. My God will never fail. And my God will never fail. I'm gonna see a victory I'm gonna see a victory For the battle belongs to you, Lord I'm gonna see a victory I'm gonna see a victory For the battle belongs to you, Lord There's power in the mighty name of Jesus. Every war he wages, he will win. No, I'm not backing down from any giants. I know how this story ends. Yes, I know how this story ends. I'm gonna see a victory I'm gonna see a victory For the battle belongs to you, Lord I'm gonna see a victory I'm gonna see a victory For the battle belongs to you, Lord You take what the enemy meant for evil and you turn it for good. You turn it for good. You take what the enemy meant for evil and you turn it for good. 
you turn it for good. You take what the enemy meant for evil, and you turn it for good. You turn it for good. Let's sing that again together. You take what the enemy meant for evil, and you turn it for good. You turn it for good. And I'm going to see a victory. I'm going to see a victory. For the battle belongs to you, Lord. I'm going to see a victory. I'm going to see a victory. For the battle belongs to you, Lord. I'm going to see a victory. I'm going to see a victory. For the battle belongs to you, Lord. I'm going to see a victory. I'm going to see a victory. For the battle belongs to you, Lord. Awesome. We believe that this morning. We believe that uh, we will see a victory. Victory over fear, victory over anxiety. Um, and we, our prayer for you this morning is that as you make peace with God, that you will trust in His peace um, to overcome you. Thanks for joining us this morning. It was awesome to worship with you. And have a wonderful week. God bless. This is my worship.